Avengers, assemble. In the wake of Endgame, some were lost, others regained. They're good. What happens next? Stay tuned, true believers, as we try to find out. Peter Melnick. Graphic designer, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Upstate New York radio announcer in the Sullivan Catskills with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. Ready? It's time for a new episode of The Marvelists. Howdy, kids! This here's Bill Manspeaker from the punk rock puppet band Green You're listening to Marvelous with Peter Almix and Eddie Wilson. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick and I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the usual rigmarole of today's episode and introducing our very special guest, we want to tell you all at home how you can get a hold of us on them, our social media. Home in the car, wherever you might be, he's going to tell you anyway. Go ahead. It- Exactly. First off, go on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Marvelists. Give us a follow on social media on other platforms, Twitter and Instagram at The Marvelists. You can also find myself on social media at facebook.com slash Peter Melnick Podcaster. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Melnick. I'm on TikTok, but really, who cares anymore? And also, (laughs) you can find Eddie on only one social media platform, and that is on Instagram, and that... Is that? Eddie9193. And in addition, you can listen to this show in a variety of ways. You can find the show on SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Stitcher Radio, Podbean, etc., etc. But remember, there's only one on iOS and Android. Well, only one on iOS called the podcasting app with iTunes. And you rate, review, subscribe. And remember, keep it five stars because four stars and below, Eddie. Is like the ice cream machine at McDonald's. It's five it just points doesn't work. to the star, so five stars. That's it. Nope, we we still have four stars, and we don't use those. Mm. They're like they're like sitting in the the drawer with like those really crappy knives that we really don't need, yes. or the forks. Like, do do we really need those? No, and it's not a five star like a pentagram thing either. So now, Eddie, on the other end of the tin can and string, we are joined with Bill Manspeaker of the punk band, punk puppet band. Green Jello, Bill. Good speaking, evening. Speaking of not five star acts, <laughs> <laughs> he knew his segue right there. It said, <laughs> oh, "Good man." Howdy, kids. Wow, thanks, Bill. Punk we appreciate it. Master Green Jello, also known as the Punk Rock Puppet Pope. Today, I'm in Oregon, Eugene, Oregon. Oh boy. And I am a uh, literally. I was paid. To be a priest at a wedding. <laughs> a service so, happening? Uh, wow. So I drove 14 uh, hours with my family, and I got my black shirt inside out, so the tag is in the front, so I look like a priest. <laughs> <laughs> On a and budget. I'm about, I'm about to drive into the woods, to marry some hippie company, or a hippie uh, couple, uh, underneath the waterfall. Oh, back to nature. Very good. <laughs> wow. See what happens when you wear your shirt inside out and backwards? <laughs> you, you, you suddenly acquire a job. You're a holy man. <laughs> holy pile of shit. <laughs> holy man of the cloth. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, how so, did May the peace so, be with you. D- d- ditto. <laughs> so, Bill... Now, yes. this is a show where we talk about comic books, Marvel, and all that. Growing up as a kid, were you a comic book fan at all? I was a huge comic book fan. In fact, at, at 11 years old, my, my favorite uh, comic book character at that time was The Flash, mm-hmm. only because nobody else liked The Flash, and I didn't want to be like every other kid, like in Spider-Man and Batman and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and I remember distinctly being in, in the fifth grade, and finding out about comic books in rare comic books. And I would go to the comic book store at my corner, Queen City Comic Books on Bailey Avenue in Buffalo, New York, still there. Mm. And I would go and I would buy old comic books for a dollar. And I would remember my mom and the rest of my family, because this is fifth grade, 
telling me that I was insane to pay a dollar <laughs> for a comic book that obviously said 12 cents on. <laughs> and I was trying to tell him, these are rare. These are the first editions of, of you know, Captain America, of Iron Man, blah, blah, blah. And they, they didn't really seem to care. And, in fact, they gave me a pile. Well, the, here's Jimmy's old comic books. You know, if you want them, you don't even have to give me a dollar. And they gave me this big pile of comic books that are probably worth thousands by now. So back, you know, back in the early 70s, I, I remember I bought that, you know, edition of Iron Man. I bought that edition of the Hulk. I, I paid a dollar <laughs> for number one. And, 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 and I, I literally still have them. And they're worth, you know, some ridiculous amount now. But, again, I, I clearly remember, you know, being told by my family that I was a financial disaster, and which I am. <laughs> That's a whole other story. But, well, uh, again, these, these, these ones I paid a dollar for are worth, you know, a 1000 and plus right now. So, well, I think, though, yeah, you, you automatically answered the question ahead was, what did you mean by rare? And so that answer when you said 12 cents, so we're talking, yeah, that, that time frame. And I guess even if they were in kind of cruddy condition, they'd still be worth a lot yeah, more than... Yeah, but they weren't know. because this is the genius of it all, right? So this is me buying these comic books in, you know, 1974, all right? So the number one Hulk, you know, whatever, I, I, I can't, you know, dictate it off my head, but, you know, what, maybe 1965? So mm. we're talking 10 years. Mm. You know, so that, that's like you finding a comic book now from, you know, 2010. Of course, you could find a zillion that are in great condition. So it was, it was sort of the same. So all I did with that comic book that I paid for that dollar is I read it, obviously. And then I put it in a plastic, you know, container and I put tape over it. And literally, it's been sitting in a box in the dark in the closet since then. So whatever, you know, 40, 50 years. So, yeah, you know, it looks like they, they just came off the rack. That's great. Wow. That's a secret, I guess, to collecting. Right? And, and, no. and, 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 and I have a, a, a really good friend and a band member uh, named Psycho who literally has the biggest comic book collection that I've ever seen in my entire life. He has. He, he's one of these guys. He has every edition of Spider-Man. Mm. Every edition of Captain America, every edition of the Avengers, from number one till present. That's... And all in, 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 in perfect condition. So, I, so I've seen, you know, I, I'm lucky enough to see these really super rare Spider-Mans and Batmans and Supermans. But, you know, my friend just has them. <laughs> so you got to see them, but you couldn't touch them, I think, right? No, 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 I couldn't touch them. <laughs> They're all sealed in a, in a plastic case and and, and shown to me in UV light held by a fucking thong, you know? <laughs> what uh, what bill would you say, uh, if you had a rough estimate idea number-wise, your own collection, how how much of a collection did you put together? Uh, you know what, I, I'm not really that crazy because I only did it, you know, when I was a little kid like that, mm-hmm. you know? So I'm going to say uh, at the most I probably have 200, you know, comics. I'm going to say an average, you know, a hundred dollars each. So you know, twenty grand maybe, whatever that math is. Twenty grand, two grand. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So, I think I did. I did not go comic book crazy. Mm-hmm. Because you grew yeah, up. Eddie, on the other hand, well, yeah, me on the other hand uh, is another story. His his value is probably worth a lot more than than the massive thousands upon thousands that I have. Really, but really, where, could, where would you place your your values at? Uh, I don't know. A good comic book store guy down in Florida, uh, CJ's Comics, says what I've probably collected is probably worth I don't know a quarter of a million. I think. Yeah, then then you then you are definitely with my friend uh, Psycho, who is in uh, Green Jello. In fact, prob- you know, I should give you. Uh, his, you do Facebook at all? Yeah. Yeah, see, Psycho, S-Y-K-O, Gecko. That's his name. <laughs> yeah. You should find him on Facebook. He is, he is, and again, I'm 57 years old. I've collected things since I was five years old that I still have. And I'm not talking hoard have. 
I'm talking collecting, you know, hoards. Sure. You know, the difference between a collector and a hoarder is a collector has it neatly put away <laughs> clean. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> right. So I'm the neatly guy, put away clean hoarder guy. Yeah. But uh, he he definitely is the biggest comic book hoarder that I've ever met in my entire life. And, and I know a lot. <laughs> gotcha. So you should get a hold of them. You, you guys would be best friends. <laughs> Now, growing up, what was like your preference for the comics? Marvel, DC, maybe maybe even Charlton? I, you know, to, to be honest, I started off with Harvey Comics. Harvey? You're like me. Harvey <laughs> Comics, which had Richie Rich, uh, Hot Stuff, Casper, Casper, Wendy, you know, etc. And uh, my favorite was Richie Rich. And only because, this is going to sound so stupid, only because I was raised, you know, very poor, you know, housing projects, single mom, you know, living in the 60s. So as a little kid, I could identify with this person that was my age, but lived in this gigantic mansion and had, you know, uh, fancy things, you know. So that's how I started off in the in the comic book thing. And then I went from that to hot stuff and blah, blah, blah. And then... When, you know, you get into middle grade, then all of a sudden you're, you're competing to be cool. So that's when I started off with, you know, right into D.C., in which, you know, The Flash was my favorite. And then, uh, you know, and when you're in fifth grade and you're liking The Flash, you're liking D.C. Comics, you know, the cool kids like Marvel and Spider-Man and blah, blah, blah. So then I moved from that into... Marvel and Captain America, and then Captain America was my favorite. You know, he was my first number one that I bought for a dollar. He was the first, you know, collection that I tried to get from, you know, the beginning to the end, you know. Now, with uh, Spider-Man, it's kind of funny that you say your first character that you ever got into on DC was The Flash. Both him and Spider-Man have a very similar colorful rogues gallery when you think about it. Yes, Yes, but again, I was just going for the Flash, and I was going for Captain America, just because, you know, they were the underdog, you know. They were the least popular ones at that time, you know. So I, I didn't go for the Superman and, the, you know, the Spider-Man. And then uh, that just led right into, uh, you know, obviously uh, Saturday morning cartoons from the 70s. And then all the cartoons all had toys. And then from watching the cartoons and collecting the toys, and there's the TV commercials, which were all sugar-coated cereals. So that led into Frank, you know, Frankenberry, Count Chocula. So this, all this stuff is, you know, what I was exposed to from, you know, say the age of eight all the way up to 13. So even though it's only five years, you know, it's a critical five years for any little kid. And so that's what I was literally bombarded with, you know, through the 70s. And then when high school kicked in and, you know, comic book collection isn't cool and breakfast cereal and Saturday morning cartoons, you know, that's all the taboo stuff. And then you move into bands, you know, you got to get into that level. So then that's where I started off, you know, I started with Elton John only because he dressed crazy, you know. <laughs> and then Elton John led me to Alice Cooper. And then Alice Cooper led me to Kiss. And then Kiss led me into punk rock. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's 1981. And I have this influence of breakfast cereals, comic books, and toys as the kid. And then I got this influence as, you know... Elton John, Alice Cooper, Kiss, and the Sex Pistols as a teenager, you know, there was only one next obvious choice for me to make in my life. And that was for me to rent a, a PA system and pull it into my lunchroom in 12th grade and do this on the day that they were serving green jello. And I got on top of that lunch table 
and I dropped my pants and I gave out my finger and I yelled to the PA, everybody says green jello sucks. And everybody started saying green jello sucks. And they started throwing their food at me. And we were playing this god awful music behind it. And the, and the principal rushed in and the security guards for the police rushed in. And they unplugged everything and they pulled it out. And I got thrown into in school suspension. And it was that day I knew what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I wanted to be a jackass. <laughs> before the TMTV show came around. <laughs> Way before that. And even before, what do you call it? And was it 84? Spinal Tap. You had that, uh, I guess, that pattern set for them to imitate oh, yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, Spinal Tap is just a movie. <laughs> yeah, we're talking life, folks. Yeah. <laughs> There ain't no catering table and, and, and a trailer outside for me to rest in between takes. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but do your speakers go up to 11? Yes, they do. Yes. <laughs> I can't even tell you how many times I've been blamed for blowing out, you know, you know systems at, at uh, concerts and venues or, or, or knocking out power. I literally, and this was, actually it was last year, last summer. We literally blacked out, and I'm not kidding, the entire town we were playing in. The entire electricity grid for the town. It was a very small town. Oh, all right. There you go. We, we, we shut down the power for the whole town. We played one song, and everything shut off. <laughs> That's, That's a one-hit wonder. Yes. It goes to 11. <laughs> You know, I'm going. With, I go for the shock and awe, right? You know, if if, you, if your band is terrible, and, and if anybody paid attention to the music, everybody would know. Just like the you know the King's new clothes, the little kid yells out, "Hey, the King is really naked!" I'm trying to prevent that kid from yelling that out. So I do total shock and awe. You know, as loud as it can go, with as many people in costumes as possible, and as much disruption from the moment I grab that microphone and to the moment we stop. And that's pretty easy at 12 o'clock at night when a whole bar full of people are completely drunk. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> they don't remember who they slept with last last night, let alone what the band sounded like, right? Now, real quick, going back over to the uh, breakfast cereals and stuff like that, the uh, monster cereals, I want to settle a debate we have on this show. Booberry, yay or nay? Oh, I love booberry. Are you kidding? Thank me? you. <laughs> that was my favorite. Well, and again, again, Count Chocula, Frankenberry, those were the contenders. That's what all the kids loved. And then all of a sudden, this booberry came around. You know, he was the underdog. That's the one that I picked. Even though I loved Frankenberry and Count Chocula, you cannot deny the flavorability of those two. But when Eddie you throw Thomas. in a blueberry ghost, how could you say no? Got it. Yeah, well, my top two are, yes, are Franken and Count as well. But then again, and I think it was maybe limited because I never had the, uh, the the fruit brute. Yeah, I was just going to bring that up. Then then came the fruit brute. Mm -hmm. And that's when and they pushed it a little bit too much. You're like, <laughs> like, all right, I'm going for the underdog, you know. So, so it's almost like going from Kiss to the Sex Pistols. You're going for the underdog. But all of a sudden, they throw the knack at you. You're like, oh, dude, nice, Sharona. Come on. That's not punk rock. That was Fruit Brute is my Sharona. <laughs> See, I was going to head for Good Girls Don't, but. Oh, yeah, that's good. Good Girls Don't. But I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And one of the things, you know, you mentioned... My son, my son Damien, one of his best friends, that was his dad. <laughs> Hollywood. Whoa. Mm -hmm. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. He just died and they sold off, you know, all of his cool stuff. I guess he had a huge Beatle collection. He had a, a Paul McCartney bass, you know, that weird funny looking one that kind of looked like a violin or something. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not really that familiar with the Beatles. Again, I go for the underdog, but, you know, supposedly he had some really famous Paul McCartney bass also. But, um, yeah, so um, my be my son's best friend. But anyways, go on. Uh, 
one of the things with the band, you know, also going back over to the breakfast cereals, breakfast cereals are known for bright, vibrant colors. You'll get, you know, Lucky Charms. And your band is like the equivalent of breakfast cereal, bright, vibrant colors. Like the Three Little Pigs video. You know what? Nobody's ever really pointed that out. And, and, <laughs> I'm, and, I'm, and, and I'm beyond impressed with this because I stole those exact colors for the colors for the Green Jello Records. Nobody in the last 30 years has ever figured that out. Wow. I'm impressed. I do a lot of interviews. I mean, I'm not that popular. Don't get me wrong. You know, I'm not trying to state that. But I do a lot of talking, obviously. And nobody has ever brought that up. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed. Thank you. Yeah, because it's like the the colors are just so bright and vibrant, especially the Three Little Pigs video. It's insane. <laughs> I stole them right off the cereal box. <laughs> <laughs> they were there, whatever. <laughs> and in fact, you know, now that we're going down this, this road that you opened up the detour from, the cover of Serial Killer Green Jello. Each character is stolen from a cover of a Marvel book, um, of a Mar- of a Marvel, of a Marvel comic book cover, and you can see. Again, I, I know you probably don't have it in front of you, but if you look on the serial killer cover, the cow god is in the classic Spider-Man pose. I've got to check that out now. Real? Oh wow! Is it some kind of crouch, yeah. or whatever. Every every character on the front cover of Serial Killer was stolen from a front cover of a Marvel comic book. <laughs> and and at that time, you know, uh, obviously, I, I had a lot of uh, Marvel comic books. So I just scattered through them and, you know, just found elements off of each different cover and said, all right, take, uh, you know, the thing and turn it into shit, man, here. And it's the exact same drawing. <laughs> And, and I and I did that for both albums. I did that for Serial Killer and for Three Three Three. They're all just covers off of Marvel comic books with the colors stolen from Serial Killer boxes. You're exposing the truth. The king has no clothes. He's in his underwear. <laughs> well, now this isn't the only connection Green Jello has with the world of Marvel, and the biggest one is and. When we had Mark Flitman, the producer of the Maximum Carnage game, you guys were brought up repeatedly in fan questions. How did Green Jello get on board for the Maximum Carnage video game? From your recollection. I love this. All right, so I get signed to a major recording contract at a major record label. And... I do my commitment. I make them 11 music videos. I handed them in. And literally when I handed them in, the president of the company called the entire staff of the record company, you know, 30, 50 people into the conference room. They He subject them to watch the entire hour-long video. And at the end of the video, and I'm in, and I'm in the room. This is during the time of Nirvana and Alice in Chains and all this grunge music, I come up with this serial killer video based on serial and toys and cartoons and crappy bands. And they put the video in, and they, he forces the company to watch it for an hour. And I'm telling you, when it was over, not one applaud, not one chuckle, nothing. It was dead silence, and then the room full of people left. And I was like, all right, cool, whatever. (laughs) All good by me. So their commitment to my project was that they had to print 100 VHS copies, and that was it. Their obligation was done. So they printed out the 100, they sent them all out, and there was this thing in New York City, called the New Music Seminar. And this is where all the record companies would flout all their new acts, and they would put all this money into this promotion, and there'd be tens of thousands of people and conferences and all this kind of bullshit. So 
part of their obligation is that they also had to spend $5,000 on promotion. So they said, all right, we're just sending to the music seminar. We printed out a hundred copies. They'll give those away at the thing, and then we're done with these assholes. Okay? True story. <laughs> they fly us out, and the place is packed, tens of thousands of people, and we're all in our green jello costumes. And nobody, not one publication, not one newspaper, not one college radio station, nobody wanted to talk to us. We had a booth set up. Everybody else does all this business. We got nothing. Nothing at all. And at one point, the Port Authority police show up and shut down our booth because they say it's offensive because we have a character named Shitman and another one named Marshall Stacks. And Marshall Stacks was taking his woolly mammoth. Let's, let's call it the woolly mammoth. He was taking the woolly mammoth and he was hanging it over the balcony in front of thousands of people and waving. Oh, yeah. Who's got peanuts for my woolly mammoth? <laughs> <laughs> so the Port Authority police come over and they literally shut us down. So here we are in New York City with our new album. Nobody wants to talk to us. Nobody wants to put us on the radio. The convention they just sent us to just shut us down. And we're walking down whatever street it was. I forget. Maybe it was Fifth Avenue. And we got all of our costumes. And this is, you know, the entire band, you know, like 10 of us. And we're drudging down our shitman costume and our cow god costume all sad and lonely. Because nobody likes our band. And I'm not kidding. All of a sudden... There's the Marvel comic book building. And we're with our publicist from the record company who is not giving up on us. Her name is Leah Horowitz. And she says, come on, let's, let's just go inside. What do we got to lose? So we put on our costumes and we walked in there like we own the fucking place. <laughs> And we said that we were there to see Stan Lee. <laughs> so here in the lobby of Marvel Comics, Cow God, Shitman, Marshall Stacks, Rock and Roll Pumpkin, all the characters that just been kicked out, they come down, the elevator opens, all of a sudden we have passes, and now we're inside the main room at Marvel with all the artists. In, the, in whatever it's called, the bullpen or whatever, there we are. And we're dressed up, and all our artists are taking pictures with us. And next thing I know, Stan Lee walks out. Brings me into his office, and there I am having this conversation with Stan Lee, telling him that I think that Green Jello should do a song for one of his characters. Two weeks later, I'm in his office in Hollywood, California, and we're doing up the deal. And we're doing the song for Maximum Carnage video game. So here, all of a sudden, the record company don't like our fucking album and our videos. The new music seminar shuts us down. And with our tail between our legs, we go for it at Marvel Comics, and somehow we wound up with this awesome deal. And then from that point in time, not only did we do the Maximum Carnage game, but we also did this song called It's Clobbering Time for the Fantastic Four cartoon that was out on Fox 11. So here we are, the underdog, nobody cares, and all of a sudden, because we didn't give up, because we believed in the thing that we did. We didn't care what anybody else really thought about it because it was part of our life. This is, this is what happened. This is what we made. All of a sudden, we're in the mainstream. We got Spider-Man. We got Fantastic Four. And then, you know, obviously our song wound up selling millions of copies 
And here I am, whatever, 30 years later, still milking the same goddamn dead cow. (laughs) And one of the things about that song is, one, you know, so many people I know didn't even know that it was an actual song song with lyrics and whatnot, because we're used to the version in the video game, the 16-bit, you know, computer version. But then I discovered recently the, you know, the studio track, and holy shit, is it good! Thank you. We we actually had the guy who did uh, Green Day Dookie, the producer of that album, actually produced that song for us. So, you know, again, we went from, you know, the underdog in Hollywood, nobody giving the rat's ass, to having, you know, you know, a major producer doing our song for, you know, a major, you know, comic book character. So, you know, it just it just kind of shows that if you just really believe in what you want to do and you just keep going forward and you're blind to all the criticism around you, you know, it, eventually it'll work out for you. And, and again, here I am. You know, this is the only thing I've done my entire existence, you know, from 1981 when I created the band when I was in high school to year 2000, we're talking you know, almost, what, 40 years now? Mm. You know, I've had some random jobs here and there, and the last legitimate job I had was uh, I worked at E-Entertainment Television, but I quit that on St. Patrick's Day in 1992. So, you know, I'm, I'm literally making a living off of, you know, the things I was raised as from a kid, you know, comic book, cereal, and crappy music <laughs> somehow I squished it all together and turned it into a job and I, and I remember clearly after they dismantled the whole disruption in 12th grade and I got thrown into suspension and I got the you know the big speech and blah 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 I remember clearly being told by the principal of the high school Mr. McGamble Mr. Mad Speaker you will not make a living being a jackass for the rest of your life. You will wind up in jail by the time that you're 19. <laughs> and the only jail I've been to is Facebook jail. <laughs> and, you know, going back over to Maximum Carnage, it's wild to see that, you know, all these years later, the reaction people have to the song where they recently did a Marvel video game called, I believe, Marvel Heroes. And in the announcement trailer for Carnage showing up in the game, what song do we hear? I know. Wasn't that great? That blew my mind again. Out of nowhere, I got a message on Facebook and said, hey, we're doing this, blah, 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 blah. Can we do this again? And I was like, well, of course you can. You know, so, so, you know, it was really nice to have it happen again for another new generation of uh, people that enjoy video games. And I have a weird feeling because, obviously, due to everything going on in the world today, the release date for it got pushed. But there's going to be Venom 2. There will be Carnage. And I'm hoping beyond hope. I've been trying. I've been, I've been legitimately trying. We just got um, a new record deal from a major label. So I know that they are pitching it for us. And hopefully that will all turn out. And so far, I've been pretty good with soundtracks. You know, I'm on a lot of movie soundtracks, a lot of uh, commercial soundtracks. I don't know if you're aware. Um, We're on Dumb and Dumber. We're on the Flintstones movie. We're on a Disney movie called Born to be Wild. Uh, I'm on a Shell gasoline commercial. Uh, And, you know, the random Marvel things. So hopefully it'll work out. And again, you know, I think it'd be fantastic just to see that little tip of the hat to everything that came before it, because why why wouldn't you? Yeah, that would be sweet. Now, Eddie? Well, Bill, part of that, what came before, I wanted to ask about how it felt and, of course, how it came about. Uh, just a couple years after you get into the the punk scene, whatever, and it's like 1984, opening up for the Ramones, and then uh, and then getting onto the Gong Show. Ah, uh, <laughs> you know, so many, so many silly things have happened, and I'm honored that you brought you know those two up. 
Um, the first one, very important, opening up for the Ramones. First, I'd like to say that Johnny Ramone, or not Johnny, sorry, Joey Ramone, has gone on public record and has stated that Green Jello is the worst band to ever play with the Ramones. <laughs> and he is uh, he's, <laughs> he's very right with that conclusion. Um, living in Buffalo, New York, and I'm at a club, and it's the time of uh, We Are the World. Big hit. Mm. And they're going to bring food for the starving children, blah, blah, blah. So I came up with this idea. Well, if, they're, if, if We Are the World's going to feed them this food, who's going to give them the desserts? So I came up with this song idea, an event called Jello for Africa, and where we would raise money to give these kids food after dessert after their food. So I'm passing out these pamphlets to do the big sing-along, you know, and, and I've recruited all the local punk rock stars of Buffalo, New York, and I'm handing out the little pamphlets, and a promoter asked, you know, gave it to him, and he says, oh, great, can I sing on this? And I said, are you in a band? And he said, no. And I said, well, no, no it's just for bands. He goes, but I am a promoter, and I'll let you open up for the Ramones. And I said, you're in the band. <laughs> and I put him in the band, and he gave us the opening slot to the Ramones at the college that I was going to school at, at closing day of the college after all the exams. This was the free party at the state college. So Thousands of people showed up. Free Ramones concert. And I got this slot right before him. So again, I got a lot of people in the band. And back in the 80s, I didn't have that many. I only had 72. So I rented three limousines. And I piled in all my friends. And we pulled up to the soccer field where there's probably 10,000 people. Again, last day of school, free party with the Ramones. And there's thousands of people there. And I pull in with my three limousines and we drive right through the crowd. And this crowd passes. And everybody thinks it's the Ramones. And we pull up to the front of the stage, literally. And just like a clown car, thousands of people start rolling out of these three limousines, and they're all walking directly backstage. And who's standing at the stage entrance? But Joey Ramone with his arms crossed, pissed off as fuck. <laughs> we show up. We completely control the backstage. We got costumes and all kinds of crap. We immediately play because I timed it perfectly. Because if you're going to make a spectacle, you got to do it right. Immediately hit the stage. I drive out on a moped, dressed as a cow. People are throwing desserts at me, yelling that we suck. There's friggin' jello all over the Ramones equipment. I have the entire Ramones on the side of the stage pissed off with their arms crossed as soon as we are over. And, again, this is the truth. The security literally picked me up and threw me out. And when I'm saying throw, I mean airborne over the fence with my costumes behind me hitting me in the head. Tell me to get the fuck out. That's the Ramon story. <laughs> wow. All on videotape. You can find it on YouTube. Green Jello Ramones. 1985, May 10th. Now, what about the gong show? Again, you know, I have my silly band. We're playing punk clubs in Buffalo, New York. People come see it because we're a spectacle. And now we play with the Ramones. 
So a year from that, I, I was basically, you know, I started off as a little punk rock fish that ate all the other fish, and so now I'm the big punk rock fish in the little pond. And I realize this, and I, and I, and I look at all my friends, they're all drunk and partying at like 20-something years old, this local punk club, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, is this going to be me? <laughs> going to be me a couple of years from now? Fuck. My guidance counselor was right. I am a loser. So I didn't want to be a loser. And I went and I got a newspaper from California. And I'm just looking through it, you know, for jobs and apartments. And that's when I saw it. The holy grail of all holy grails. A little three-by-five ad that I still have. I clipped out of the paper in 1986. Auditions for the Gong Show, Hollywood, California. I called them up, and I was like, my name's Bill Mansfield, I'm punk rock puppet master. And I got the world's worst band. People throw food at me. I dress up as a cow, drive out on a moped. We open up for the Ramones. Everybody says we suck. Wednesday. Four o'clock, Debbie Reynolds Studio, 2800 Lancashire Boulevard. We'll see you then, Mr. Man Speaker. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. I just talked myself into a fucking TV audition in Hollywood, California, but I live in Buffalo. <laughs> I live in Buffalo, New York, 3,000 miles away. So I threw my fucking rock and roll pumpkin mask that I stole from my friend from Halloween. And my yellow rain suit that I used to work as a, a construction worker. And I threw it in the back of my car. And I drove for five days. And on the fourth day, my car blows up. Mm. <laughs> I'm at the top of the fucking Rocky Mountains and my, and, and my engine blows up. And I'm like, I can't, this guy was driving this way and, I'm here, and I'm almost to California, and I'm a loser. Right now, now I'm like two days away from my audition. I'm stuck in fucking Denver. My car's blown up. What the fuck am I going to do? You know, I got, you know, $100 left or whatever it was. It was that moment I realized that I was on the top of the mountain. And all I had to do was glide all the way down. <laughs> And I did. And then sometimes I only went 10 miles an hour. And I putted all the way from the top of the fucking Rocky Mountains to that Lankerson studio. And I put on my fucking pumpkin mask. And I did my song. And I was on national TV. And I got a year supply of turtle wax. <laughs> And I told all my friends that I made in California, I said, come over to my house on Tuesday. I want a year's supply of turtle wax. And I'm giving it away to all my friends. And I'm waiting for the truck to pull up because I got a year's supply. And all of a sudden, the UPS truck shows up with a little box of a case of turtle wax. I got 12. I got a bottle a month. So I handed it out to all my friends, and all of a sudden, I was on TV in Hollywood, and I had a bottle of free turtle wax. <laughs> 3,000 miles I did. <laughs> wow. And there's the gong show story. That's the impossible dream. <laughs> yeah, nothing says an insult more than getting turtle wax on a car that blew up. Yes, see? You see? You see? You find the humor in these, right? You have to. <laughs> Turtle wax for the car that blew up. Exactly. And now, my car is blown up. I got my turtle wax, and I can't get back to Buffalo. I'm, I'm, I'm stunned. So I get a job at Tower Records at Sunset Boulevard. And it's like 1987, and everybody's got poofy hair, and everybody wants to be Motley Crue, and there's thousands of people 
every day on the boulevard, you know, packing in the whiskey go go, the Gazaris, the rainbow. And here I show up with my punk rock puppet band and my cow outfit, and I'm telling my friends that are all in these bands at, at work about how I drove 3,000 miles and wanted a bottle of turtle wax <laughs> and got humiliated on a national TV show. Uh, they're all just like, you're an idiot. And I was like, yeah, I am. You get it? I'm, I'm stupid. I'm the underdog. Get it? And, and they didn't. But one of those guys that I work with at the record store, Tower Records, he got a job as an assistant at a record company, getting coffee, making copies. And one day he calls me up and says, hey, we're having a whole lunch, the outdoor uh, eatery on Sunset and Vine. Walk by. Pretend you haven't seen me in a while. I'll introduce you to everybody. And I did. Walked by. I was like, oh, hey, Kev. Hey, how are you, man? I haven't seen you since Tower Records. And he introduced me to all the people I shook hands. And the last guy he introduced me as a record company president. And he just goes, ah. His name is Lou Maya. Ah. Kevin tells me you have a crappy fucking band. And I said, yeah, I do. I drove 3,000 miles. People threw food at me. I got on the gong show. I wouldn't... Lee press on there, they dress up as a cow. And he just looked at me like I was insane. This is the guy that worked with the Eagles, uh, Motley Crue, Kiss, you know, uh, the Cars, you know, huge band. And he looked at me like I was fucking insane. He said, how much do you need to do this fucking project? And I just threw out this, fuck, I just threw out this number off the top of my head. Because my cousin was selling her house for sixty grand back in Buffalo. Oh, sixty grand! I'll make you eleven music videos. And I said, I don't want a record contract. I want a video contract. I don't want a record deal. I want a video deal. And he just looked at me with the biggest amazement. He picked up his little flip phone. He called the front office. Said, Chris, right man, speak a check for sixty grand. We just signed Green Jello. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? I got a record deal from the president of the company who never heard my band, never seen my band, and never watched it. Just based off of the story I just told you, I got a major record deal. And I walked away with $60,000. I was working at E-Entertainment for $7.80 an hour. I thought I was loaded. <laughs> and I got $60,000 in my hand. And, and, and I told him, I said, I can make you 11 music videos. I work at E-Entertainment Television. I didn't tell him that I was the runner. <laughs> hmm. I made it sound like I, I own the fucking place. So all of a sudden, I got to make 11 music videos. I don't know how. <laughs> I'm fucking clueless. I didn't think he would say yes, but I'm not going to give him his goddamn money back. Mm -hmm. So I went to work. And I said, how do you do this? <laughs> and my friends and my bosses all taught me how to do it. And, and, and my boss tells me that this is at Entertainment Television. And he's my boss, and I work in the studio. He goes, Bill, because you're only going to get a, get one chance to do this. He goes, I want you to start working on it full time. I'm going to give you all the studio time that you need here to edit all your videos together, but it's going to have to be late at night. I will continue to pay you until somebody figures this out. But until then, you have full run in the studio. And I literally shot these videos. I lit the videos, you know, uh, just by chance. Uh, we were just changing from one company to another in the entertainment. So they had all this equipment for sale. So he sold me all this lighting and camera equipment for dirt cheap. Gave me all this time for dirt cheap. And for the next three months of my life, that's all I did. I videotaped stuff and I, 
went in at nighttime and I edited it. And literally, I, you know, all the people that I work with all thought I worked there. So I got paid the entire time. And then that's when I told you I handed it in June and <laughs> and nobody cared. And then we went to that music seminar thing later on a couple months later. And then we got that Marvel gig. And then right after that, the song became a hit. And then all of a sudden, my life changed. And now I'm, now I'm a, a professional jackass. <laughs> That's the best kind to be. Smart move to uh, to say, no, video, not not record, because you know, you're not going to have to listen too long before you don't like what you hear. Yeah, but if you're exactly. seeing, but if you're seeing this, whether it be all the bright colors or the antics, the costumes, everything, you might be paying attention. It's kind of like exactly. Uh, it's kind of like distraction against the music. It's kind of like the crash. And, the and fire. I was honest about it. I told yeah. them directly. I said, "We want to do this on video because our music is worthless. If you listen to it, nobody will like it." I said, "But if you watch it, it's kind of like watching Three's Company." Before you know it, the show is over and you watched all the commercials. <laughs> Done. I, I was kind of going for the fiery crash on the side of the road you can't take your eyes off of, but. Oh, well, I, I use that all the time. Okay. Freeway crash. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Now, you say Three's Company. Would Don Knotts be well, involved? Don Knotts, yes. And see, and see, these theories work, right? The freeway crash. Everybody slows down, right? Yep. So the, the theory of it works. It's just the application mm-hmm. that you can take and remove and apply it to somewhere else. So the application of the curiosity to see the train wreck works. So if you can refigure the numbers for it and turn it from a car being crashed to just a terrible band, you still get to collect the insurance money. <laughs> And I don't know if it matters too much, but I think going with the Don Knotts Threes Company versus the Norman Fell Mr. Roper one, I don't know if that. Hey, hang on one second. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's kind of, I know it's down. Yeah, on the five. Yes, let's just five, okay? We'll follow you. Yes, Wildwood. It is in Cotton, Cotton Grove. Cottage Grove. All right, we'll follow you. All right, sorry. I just had to give directions to the wedding that I'm the priest at. <laughs> so again, so, here, so here's that same theory, okay? So you take the train wreck theory or the car crash theory on the freeway, we apply it to music, right? So now, same thing. You know, now I've applied it and I could do the punk rock puppet thing and make a living of it, blah, blah, blah. But now the world has been shut down. So now I can't easily hop on a plane and fly to Ohio and do a concert Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And I've been doing this literally for the last, uh, yes, I've been doing this literally for the last, uh, let's see, 2008. So 12 years, 125 shows. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, literally, it's just shut down in, in a matter of a weekend in March. Boom. Everything's shut. So now... I've taken that same theory of the car crash, right? And now I've reapplied it. So today I am a priest at a wedding. And I'm getting paid the same as doing the show. <laughs> so so I, I'm still milking that same cow. Because, you know, again, all I've done is wore my shirt backwards and inside out. And I've done that for odd years. You know, just for the fact that, you know, when I hop on the plane, uh, people see you for a second while they're walking by and with the tag, you know, reversed. A lot of people think that you're a priest, and, and I'm bored at the airport, so I'm looking for fun. So a lot of people go, good morning, Father, and I bless them as they're passing by. So here's this joke that I applied on the plane, now turn into my job. <laughs> just pass the basket around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm still doing my performance thing, but, you know, I just had to read, you know, because now you can't uh, have a gathering of more than, what, 10, 20 people. Mm-hmm. So, so obviously that wouldn't work as a concert, you know, but me as a priest, that works. <laughs> so, so, so now I'm a priest. <laughs> 
And today is my first paid job. <laughs> well, bless you. <laughs> bless you, too. So before we go, we want to give you a big thank you for doing the program today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I, I, I'm, I'm honored that uh, people still want to talk to me, you know, literally 30 years after the fact that I had a, a very small hit song. So thank you. Now, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on social media? Oh, I am so super easy to find. Really super easy. Uh, William Charles Man Speaker, as in man and speaker put together. William Charles Man Speaker on Facebook. I'm on it every single day. I post every single thing that happens with green jello. And I am very accessible and easy to get a hold of. So if uh, you want to book me to marry you or baptize your children. (laughs) Oh, my God, baptize your children. (laughs) Feel free to reach me at William Charles Manspeaker on Facebook. And one last thing, and I forgot because we added in it. And um, I, I talk a little bit too much, so we probably couldn't get to it. We, uh, Green Jello just got signed to a major recording contract. I just handed in our brand-new album. Uh, we haven't recorded a new song since uh, Maximum Carnage back in 1995. And what I did is I basically talked myself into another record deal. And this record is called Green Jello Garage and kits, and it's made with over 90, 90 green jello fans, all from Facebook. Every song is fan recorded, fan written. The album itself has 25 different artists on it, from the front cover to the back cover to the um, inserts. On the recording, there's over a 50 Green Jello fans playing drums, bass, guitar, singing. And there are 28 different Green Jello fan songwriters on the album. 100% made by the fans. Green Jello garbage band kids. That's wow. tremendous. Tremendous. It's going to be, there's no other way to describe it, but fantastic. Oh, my God, that's so obvious. That's so sweet. I'm so stealing that. Thank you. You're welcome. That's good, man. Thank you. You've inspired a couple things today. Thank you very much. Hopefully not indigestion. Ah, Aliens don't get indigestion. (laughs) i got to go find some monster cereals now. Right? Sugar-coated, you know? Yeah. Now that I'm an adult, and again, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but now I see the connection between the sugar-coated cereals and the root canal dentist. Think about it. Mm -hmm. It keeps them in business. (laughs) Get woke. (laughs) All righty, for The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Bill Manspeaker, the punk rock puppet Pope from Green Yellow. And I'm Eddie Wilson, Excelsior. Obsessed with Marvel. The Bill Manspeaker edition. If there is such a thing. All right, here we go. Multiple choice. I'll read it through and we'll figure out if we get these right or not. Three or four questions. Question number 2017. Armbar. Out of a possible 2,500. And it goes, who was the first supernatural ghostwriter in the Marvel Universe? Your choices are... The Bomba! The b- <laughs> Your choices are Johnny Blaze, Noble Kale, Pastor Kale, or Daniel Ketch. Pastor Kale! Pastor Kale, he says. I like the way Bill thinks. First supernatural ghostwriter in the Marvel Universe, Johnny Blaze, Noble Kale... Aster Kale, Daniel Ketch. There, oh, Aster. There could be. Like Aster Cooper? Um, I'm going to say... Uh, no, Pastor, as in religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you could you could be onto something here because uh, John F. Kennedy. What? <laughs> Not a selection. That would be letter E. Let's yeah. E. <laughs> I, I'm inclined, of course, to say Johnny Blaze, but but when they reference and they go back to it, so I, it might be one of the Kales, to be honest. I like Kale. All right, it's good for your insides, I suppose. Um, it is, Peter. It makes you poop easy. Yeah, <laughs> smooth. It is smooth. I'm I'm gonna go with choice C. Unlike McDonald's hard. <laughs> You're going with Peter. What? See, uh, Peter, are you still with us? Yes, I am. <laughs> oh, so, sorry. so what are you saying, Peter? Which which of the two kales? I I said C. C, Pastor Kale. All right, let me just go in folding with you. And no, the answer oh. I should have said it is noble kale. Okay, that's the answer to that one. Let the dun, computer dun, dun. thinking about it, and we'll go to another one. All right, so here we go. It happens. Oh, 50-50 or better is our success rate on this bill, just so you know. All right. Question number 1937. Better than my success rate. Well, yeah. Okay. Oh, we're going we're gonna to really shine here then. Question number 1937. <laughs> Who was Jonathan Powers? Was it, was he the exterminator, the jester, the organizer, or Brother Brimstone? Who was Jonathan Powers? I was going to say one of the power pack, but anyway. I think Mr. Power's son. The uh the Mr. and Mrs. The Exterminator, the Jester, the Organizer, or Brother Brimstone. It's Brother Love. Uh, the um, uh, Comfort in. Comfort in. <laughs> comfort out, more like it. Uh, <laughs> uh, um no no no, I got this one. Um the uh the Exterminator. The Exterminator. Okay, Peter? I think so. Yeah, you were starting to say something else, I thought, though. Nope, I'm going with Exterminator. Going with Exterminator. Um, we're going to be guest-friendly and go, A, Exterminator? No. <laughs> the answer ah! is B, the Jester. Where's the underdog now? All right. Um, <clears throat> I feel oh. like I'm in high school again. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> I need a safe place. Yes, you'll never amount to anything, William. Okay, right. I got it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Mr. McDowell. For- <laughs> <laughs> oh, and he's too sp- teacher-specific, too. All right, 1408, let's try this one. Being over to... Stop hitting me! Who, <laughs> who are Eenie and Meenie? All right. Who <laughs> who are Eenie? Relatives of Moe. They're the ones that come before Miney and Moe, of course. Where else would it be? All right, Eenie and Meenie. Are they students... The names of my penises! <laughs> Notice it's pluralized. It's a mutant. It's P9. <laughs> I thought it was P-Nine. Anyway. God damn it. I have a kid. I'm full of, I got a car full of kids. Eenie and Meenie. All right. <laughs> Students at the Xavier Institute are enormous slugs in symbiotic relationship with Maggot. Are they servants of Mojo or leprechauns at Cassidy Keep? I think it's with Mojo, isn't it? Sure. Um, who are Eenie and Meenie? Yeah. I'll read the answers again. Students at the Xavier Institute... Enormous slugs in symbiotic relationship with maggot, servants of mojo, or leprechauns at Cassidy Keep. Servants of maggot. Sir, that's a combination of B and C, Bill. I'm sorry, I can't accept that. Oh, um, servants of maggot. Servants of mojo. Institute. Or the slug. A mojo. Or the slug. You, you put three inches together. Now we're going somewhere here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Bigger by the moment. Bigger? Is that the right word? Okay. <laughs> Um, oh, no. Let's see. Remember, the correct answer for all of this is abracadabra without the R. Uh, what? The correct answer for this quiz is abracadabra without the R. A, B. Uh, Abacab? What? Genesis. Yes. Abacab! Genesis! Oh. Yeah. I thought I was going to say a wizard did it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you, you know that I was nominated for a Grammy up against uh, Peter Gabriel, speaking of Genesis. <laughs> Shut the front door. <laughs> I kid you not. In- Peter Gabriel won, obviously. But- oh. Well, was it the album So in like 1986 or something? Uh, whatever 1995 he did. I don't know. Okay. So closer to Steam or something, I suppose. I don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
Eddie Wilson, Peter Gabriel enthusiast. Okay. So Peter says, Servants of Mojo. I've heard of Eni and Meanie. I just can't can't place uh, exactly where. Um... <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're almost done over here. Okay, please. They want the studio. No, I'm kidding. Uh, any guess now for, for real, uh, Bill? For Eni and Meanie? Yeah. Um, uh, students at the Student Xavier Institute. Place. All right, so we're split between that and um, rock paper scissors. Is it Eddie? Try with the uh, servants. Letter C. No, we have O for three. The answer is enormous slugs in symbiotic relationship with maggot. Ah, see, I said that at first. You did in a I manner of speaking. I think I think that's the best we're going to do out of this uh, underdog episode. So O for three, and that's just on par. With Green Jello and what? Bill Manspeaker. What? What was Richie Rich's girlfriend's name? Oh, Marcy? No. <laughs> Peter. Gloria. Gloria. Good song. Well, depending on who did it, I suppose. Yeah. We'll go with the Italian guy. The Ita- Well, let's see. The Doors. Um, let's see. Uh, Laura Branigan. Um, well, Laura. Br- Laura Brannigan was a cover. Okay. Wow. Should we should we call it a day? A green jello bidets. day? Bidets are way better than toilet paper. There would be no toilet paper shortage if everyone used a bidet. <laughs> Think about it. I just did. <laughs> Excelsior. <laughs> We're out. <laughs>